one. Okay, so today we have got Jeremy. Now, I've had a whole bunch of uh, podcasts with a lot of uh, trainers and all that, but it is finally good, to, finally great to have someone who's actually done literally the whole nine yards, such as yourself, going from you know literally training nonstop and PT nonstop to going online to going to competing to becoming a prep coach. Honestly, man, uh, you're an example of someone who's just putting all the years and years of hard work. So thank you for joining us on the podcast, man. Thank you for having us. Really cool. appreciate that. So, man, let's start this off by winding back the clocks. You know, uh, how long have you been a uh, personal trainer for? So I've been personal training for about six years, six, seven years. I guess I've been training for about like, you know, back in the, when I used to have those uh, spin on dumbbells, you know, like the old school dumbbells, the rattle dumbbells. You remember those? Like the uh, old school ones that you have at home. Yeah, yeah. So I started yeah. in high school, but yeah, I've been pretty much competing for the last six years and I've been competing for the last eight years. So I got into bodybuilding back then with the passion of competing. I never really thought about PT until... I did my first competition and then I was like, you know what? I don't really want to work for someone else. So I've decided to become a PT. Oh man, yeah. that's crazy. You've been competing for that long as well. Usually when it comes to competing and the people that I've spoken to, I kind of meet like three types of people when they uh, do competing. There's the one-offs, you know, they do it once to get a taste for it, to say that they've done it. Yeah. And then because it, it is a grueling, grueling process. And then, you got the people who compete like occasionally that they will do like once, maybe a year or every couple years, a few years. And then you meet the people, so you have to like dive balls deep into it and literally just compete like nonstop. So how old were you when you had your first competition? Um, so I was about 21 when I did my first show. Yeah. And so it was just a random one that I decided because one of my best mates was doing his first bodybuilding show. And it's like, oh, bro, you should compete as well. And I was like, oh, that sounds, I guess like never really thought about it much. I was like, you know what? Why not? I just give it a go. You know, and I just became a thing. And back then, you know, it's not as, it wasn't as glorious as it is nowadays. You know, eight years ago, like compared to what it is right now, it's like there's way more competitors now. The standard's way higher. Um, and the quality of the shows are 10 times better, you know? Um, so there's so many divisions for everyone. Whereas back then it was just one division, it's just open class and then that's it. Even if you're first time, you're visiting someone who could be competing for the last five years. <laughs> so like, um, yeah, it was just like more like a phase. We gave it a go and just did it because I love training and all I had to do was kind of just diet. That was the only thing I had to change really because I mean, training was never a problem. Wow. So that's, I'm glad you mentioned that, up, uh, brought that up about how bodybuilding and the, you know, we've got all these new categories like what's your take on the whole idea do you uh, believe that you know this is a massive benefit that we've got all these new categories now or do you believe it's more of a detriment oh this is a tough one <laughs> so i guess like it's i think it's also the attitude of the competitors are different so like you know back then it wasn't about the gram it wasn't just to you know show that we competed it was generally more about like the passion for bodybuilding I'm not going to throw smoke onto everyone that competes now, but like back then, I mean, it was probably the same back then as well. You know, like it was the fitness industry. Everyone kind of knew each other, you know, it was a small tight knit kind of bodybuilding community. And I guess like, you know, the shows were 
um, you know, is open classes straight out. You go straight into your classes. You compete against, you know, the open people. And there was not many like, you know, smaller classes, if that makes sense. So like they've opened it more to appeal to more of the audience. That 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 kind of uh, does explain things because what you talked about, like uh, they're doing it for the gram because it Kate, I, I don't, again, I'm not the same. I don't want to throw shade on anyone, but there's people that, that have done it and then they base that one show around their entire life. And I feel like that's good that they gave it a go and all that. But then there's people who absolutely go, absolutely dedicate their entire life to it. And there's like levels to it you know and 100%. and there, i believe that now that it's so open to everyone literally you know we have all these different categories like i believe men's physique uh is something that's still quite recent and now we've got the introduction of classic physique and now we've got all these weight categories it's uh it's it's, it's very good for anyone in general to get involved uh so personally someone such as yourself has done it for so long were you always in one category or were you doing multiple um, categories? I always did men's physique. I think, you know, touching on the topic that, you know, you say there's like men's physique, there's class physique. I think it's great that they did open up these classes because I think, you know, bodybuilding is primarily genetics. You know, yes, we can have the best work ethic in the room, um, but someone who has, like, it's like a basketball player, right? You know, you get this analogy a lot. Everyone always talks about it. Like, you know, if you're not seven foot tall, you're not going to be a good basketball player. If you're only five foot, you're never going to be a, a good basketball player. Like, you know, at the top level. Does that make sense? So like, yeah. So I feel like, you know, having these other divisions actually does open up, you know, so then therefore people have the opportunity to compete. And then they feel like, you know, they're versus someone who could be shorter could weigh like 85 kilos but because they're shorter they have shorter limbs they look stockier they look bigger you know as compared to like someone like myself who's taller it's harder for me to look as compact and big you know like if you do uh, do you follow a bit of bodybuilding like so you know kai green phil heath you Absolutely. know who doesn't yep <laughs> so even big rami do, do you know how tall big rami is oh if i had a guess i think rami's ra oh I think it's like 140 he, kilos muscle. Yeah. 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 Something like that. He's, he's not six foot. He's just under, isn't he? Or is he just yeah. over? So he's, yeah. he's 5'10". So yeah. you think about it, like, you know, that's considered like, he's tall to everyone else. Like everyone else is pretty much shorter than him, but then they're like 120 kilos of pure muscle. So like, you know, obviously when you're shorter, you're always going to look bigger. So mm -hmm. it's just that understanding, like, you know, some people might have a very small waist, and some people may have a stocky waist. So being so in that situation, you know, someone who has a stocky waist might only be able to do well in bodybuilding because, you know, a stocky, you know, in men's physique, it's always always about having that small, slim line waist with the big shoulders, big chest, big back, that sort of look. Uh, that's definitely a point. Uh, or something just to add on. I did actually uh, meet Kai Green when I was back in year 12 of high school. Yeah, so... That's sick. Yeah, so... But remember, we used to have the purse, uh, the purse fit, uh, fitspo and all that that used to come around. Uh, we yeah. stopped, we haven't done one of those in years in Perth, uh, obviously for a, a whole range of reasons. But I believe the last one that happened, uh, Kyan Green actually came to, and yeah. I was married, I was lucky enough to grab a photo with him. So, and, <laughs> and I was in high school at the time, so year 12, I was probably in you know, year 11, year 12, not too sure. 
but yeah. I was aware that he was definitely quite a short. It was it was quite a short guy, but he's literally larger than life and uh, himself. And then that. So in terms of height, I definitely get what you're saying, through. And then in someone such as yourself, who's done physique, is height really much of a difference? Or are we looking more towards you know like physical features like shoulders, waist, back? I think it's also, like I mentioned before, like the waist, like waist size. Obviously, someone might have a stockier waist, someone might have a thinner waist. And it can just be, I think height does play a big role, whether or not someone does well. But don't get me wrong, someone can be short and have a small waist. So they have that illusion that they're, you know, a lot more stockier. Um, if you do follow a bit of men's physique, then you see someone like Jeremy Potvin. He's a pretty short guy. He's maxed out his size on his frame. You know, he's got a nice taper, but... When you stand him up next to everyone else, he does look very stocky. Because they're like, you know, he had to kind of build up his shoulders to make his waist look thinner. So it's always about that illusion. So I think it's um it's it comes down to genetics at the end. I feel like it's a big play. Like, you know, when they're looking at the top five, yes, they'll look at condition, they'll look at their muscle quality, their thickness, their size, their proportions, but it does come down to what a judge likes. Someone could have a square chest and someone can have like a rounded chest. Mm, interesting so yeah. so like obviously hearing this someone such as yourself has been competing you know such an extensive background like uh for you what was like your biggest factor like walking into like competing then in terms of you said you did men's physique for a while didn't you right. so yeah. i've only stuck to men's physique because that was my i guess i like that and i guess like you know i'm not gonna lie when i first started training i didn't train legs as much <laughs> it was one of those things that I didn't do, I mean, like back then, eight years ago, it was one of those things like you go into the gym, Jets was like the only gym around during that time. And so you join that, look at the biggest guy and most guys didn't really train legs much or like really found a passion to do it. So you just did what everyone else was doing, like upper body, chest, arms, that sort of look. And so I guess, because I didn't find the passion to do legs much then, I just stayed in men's physique. And then after that, I realized that I didn't want to be called chicken legs anymore. So I had to start training legs. And so then I just smashed legs out like in the off season, like, you know, two, three times a week and just grew them to what they are now. So, um, so I've stayed in men's physique for a while. I've considered, I've not, people ask me to move up to classic physique, but then like, I just don't feel like the standards a lot higher on the professional level. And so like, I feel like the guys in America are getting way too big that it's hard to even keep up as an Australian athlete. Oh, so the standards are not too high. What can you tell me about that? What kind of interested to know about that. Are too high or not yeah. too high? As it, so did you say they're too high or not too high? Yeah, too high. Correct. Yeah. yeah. They're way too high. Like the standards in America is like, um, like we're talking about IFBB Pro League, like obviously ICN, um, IMBA, um, you know, obviously other federations, it's different quality. But IFBB Pro League is obviously like where Arnold, Olympia, it's Olympia level athletes. And you look at the guys at the top, like, you know, they're like, they've got a lot of muscle. They literally could come here and compete as bodybuilders and probably win. You know, like that's how much muscle they have. And these guys are only just men's physique guys as well. Yeah. So it is a very, it's, it's, it's gotten harder, like compared to what it was back then. Like, you know, the standard is just slowly increases. And that's what happens. Like you go to the Olympics, right? Everyone tries to beat the records. Like, you know, that's it gets better. Like compared to what it was 20, 30 years ago, the records are pretty beaten completely, you know? So like, it's just that same idea that each year the standard gets higher, there's more competitors. So the quality, the people who are at the top is only a very small percentage of them. 
hundred percent. When I remember when we had the what is it first ever men's physique at the Olympia, which I believe it was Jeremy uh, Bournia. Uh, Bournia, that's how you whisper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name. yeah. He <laughs> same won. name. Jeremy's a common name. I just realized that's just call like <laughs> Jeremy Bournia, Jeremy Parkman. It's the same name. We have a good name. <laughs> it's a good name. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, I was saying like if you look at him when he had his first ever men's physique show in the Olympia compared to when he had his last one, he was about a good 30 pounds heavier at least. And it got to a point now also like with uh, classic physique, what I'm seeing when the first classic physique came around was so much popularity, but now I st I'm starting to feel like the, the, the gap between classic and, you know, uh, open is slowly shrinking. Like, uh, I, I believe if we put someone like Chris Bumseed, who's, you know, one of the gold standard, you put him next to uh, guys you've seen open, for some of them, there's not that much of a difference. That's just my opinion. Um, so I think, okay, so this is where hype plays a role. It's like kind of comparing, so understanding that, you know, like if you compare classic physique to, let's say, 212, you know, so, so I think Chris Bumstead is heavier than 212 bodybuilding. So someone like him could never do 212 because the guys are 212 pounds only, which I think is around a 90-ish kilo range. So he could never do it because he's just too big. So like if you think about it, like 212 should just be, be under the open bodybuilding. So that's where like kind of height plays a role. So when a bigger guy has to obviously, they have to put on more muscle to look bigger, they're going to weigh a lot heavier. So they'll never do 212. If Chris Bumstead wants to move up, he have to go to opens. And if anything, he probably has to put on maybe do another 20 or 30 pounds of muscle. I feel like he's still, he's lagging. I mean, if you compare him to like, let's say Big Rami. Because I'm pretty and, sure Big Rami is like over 280 pounds, like 300 pounds, like something like that. Or not, yeah. he's 300 pounds. Ridiculously huge. And then, uh, now yeah, so like there would, be, there would be around the same height, I think. Like if Chris Bumstead and Big Rami were the like, I, I'm assumed they're the same height. That means that Chris Bumstead will have to put on like 30 pounds to compete against like the open bodybuilders. Correct, correct. But he's still young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's definitely something for the future. Uh, but now we're talking about the height. Has this ever been like a factor for you? Like in your years competing, have you ever had to like, oh, okay, cut weight because I'm this tall or if I want to get to this division, I've had to put on this more. Like what's what was your situation throughout the years? I guess like when I first started competing, I would say I'm one of those people who kind of started off pretty well and I was what the judges wanted. So like at the beginning, I did my first show, which was an open class and I versed two guys who've competed like two or three times before me. They took first and second and I took third. So, you know, obviously doing my first show, they only placed top three as well. So it wasn't like they placed top five or six. It was just top three and that's it. It was an open class. My first time competing, I was just hoping just to get a place because after going through all that, it was like 20 competitors at least, 25, 20-ish competitors. I was like, dude, I just want to at least place. And, you know, so I got my place in and after I was like, you know what, I need, I knew what I needed to do to come in better. So I had to, you know, obviously to fine-tune my eating and, you know, get my diet more on point. I got a new coach and stuff like that and he got me leaner. Then I did my next show, which was a NABA show. And then I pretty much, um, I won that one, but it was only a very small tier show. So I wanted to go back to IFBB. And then so I prepped the next year for IFBB, which was, it's Omaro's show, if you've heard of it. Um, so it's pretty much like the, there's a, you know how there's a split between Pro League and IFBB Elite? Uh, I do, but is it right for the viewers who are listening? Can you 
kind of break it down in simple terms for them? Yeah. So pretty much I've, okay. So to go to Olympia, you need to do IFBB Pro League. And mm-hmm. so there's another tier show, which is called IFBB Elite, which is their own federation now. So it's two separate federations. So if you want to go to Olympia, that's Pro League. And if you don't want to go to Olympia or you want to go to like the, I don't know what they've called this show, the Eurasian shows, it's like IFBB Elite. So ideally I did that show during that time, which could still get you to Olympia. And I pretty much won that and I went to Arnold's and I won my class there and lost in overalls. And I guess like I started off pretty well, almost missed out on that pro card. And then like, then the standard changed. Then the split happened between the IFBB shows. And then that's when the standard changed. Now, wow. So how did the standard, how did the standard change? Okay, so that it's a bit hard to explain, but there was IVB Elite was considered the, the amateur federation, as in, so they were choosing people for the IVB Pro League. And so what happened was they separated because there was conflict between the two, and the IVB, the amateur IVB Elite decided to run their own shows now. So then IVB Pro League now had to find new people to run their shows for their federation. So that hopefully that makes a bit more sense. It's a bit hard to explain. It's a very tough one to explain, actually. Yeah. Well, that's okay because nowadays, like again, we talk about there being more categories than ever. There's also more leagues than ever. You know. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So much more federations now. Yeah, exactly. And right now, I mean, just we're talking about leagues. I mean, sorry to point out, but right behind you, you've got the INBA. Uh, which is right behind. Oh, yeah, the uh, Champion Trainer Awards, yeah. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about those, man. Yeah, so we got, uh, so like I have clients, that I uh, prep clients. So mm-hmm. my clients range from like lifestyle, um, comp preps, like, you know, serious. And like, I treat it all the same. You know, at the end of the day, everyone's goals are the same. You know, like everyone has a goal to be the best version on, of themselves, whether in any mm-hmm. way. And my goal is to help them do that. You know, so I do have comp prep clients and I have non-comp prep clients as well. Um, so I've had clients who won, um, yeah, I have like quite a lot, actually. It's like all of the room at the moment. We have quite a decent amount, at least like 15 or more, 15 or something like that. So it's people who've competed at the INBA, ICN, and they won their classes. Oh, wow. So you obviously, everyone like started from somewhere and, you know, like, what, let's, let's rewind the clocks back a little bit, you know. Can you give us like a little bit of a rough, rundown of like what was it like at the beginning for you as a personal trainer for your extensive history so for your extensive oh, career this is a long one um but yeah so as so i started personal training about six seven years ago um so i studied at uni first before coming over to pt so like you know i was studying um bachelor of science um hopefully become a physiotherapist <laughs> and then the next i Decided I, was, I didn't want to do that. And I decided to do a Bachelor of Commerce and do a double major in management and finance. And then, yeah, during that time, I did my first competition. And I kind of deferred uni for a semester because I wanted to compete. And then I just like, you know what? I don't want to <laughs> study anymore. So I became a PT. So I did AIPT, did that, became a PT at my gym. Um, started as an MC because obviously, like, you know, starting out as a PT is scary, you know, like when you don't have funds coming in. So I had to find some other way obviously at the time I was still working at Nando's <laughs> so I, I've been working at Nando's for like eight years so during uni I just worked there because um, I was there for so long it was just hard for change and so I did MC membership consultant at my gym hoping to become a PT so I was studying my PT certs 
Um, after three months, I got my cert, started as a PT, and yeah, just did the high dad since then. Like, you know, starting as a PT, we put in all the work. Obviously, like, you know, what they teach you in those PT courses is never going to be enough. 100%. Like, but personally, you're talking to someone himself who I actually like was like, yeah, I went to university and I did sports science, exercise, and health. And I did three and a half years of studying at, you know, UWA, which is, you yeah. know, their course was supposed to be top of the, one of the top in the world. Yeah. When I started PT, like, nah, it wasn't even enough. So I 100% agree with you on that one. But please keep going. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just one of those things, like, you know, it's like the experience. Like, they can teach you all the textbook things in the world. You probably know so many things that I don't even know. But then when it comes to actually applying it, it's like a whole different ball game. It's like, you know, you'd be like, I didn't need any of the stuff they taught me <laughs> like you need. It's like, you know, maybe they taught you how to digest scientific material. They may have taught you how to study and to be open to different point of views. So I think that's the techniques you kind of learn from going to uni. Does that make sense? So like, you know, learning that style of, okay, you need to just one, it's not one size fits all. You know, you have to be able to digest and research things as well. And what's, you know, good quality content, what's not. Um, and then so... When I started as a PT, I did everything you could as a beginner PT, you know, offering one, you know, pay for one session, get one free session, doing free sessions for people, just training people. Um, I used to just PT all the time. And like, I had, I had gotten to a point where I was starting at like 4 a.m. in the morning. I get up at like 3, like 2.55, 2.55 or 3 a.m. in the morning just to go to work. And then like, I was still prepping around that time as well. And so like, I literally, I used to sleep in between clients. Like that's how much I stayed at the gym. You can ask anyone at my gym. I literally just lay on the ground and sleep. Like even 15 minutes I had, that's what I used to do. Like, you know, I literally did everything you could to kind of be a PT. And I thought this is the way of, you know, work hard. You run a successful business. Um, and obviously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So keep going. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, it's just one of those things like, you know, so I, did that um and then i you know obviously did the standard pt stuff the double shifts you know go all morning you know come back at night and i took everything you could like there was no like oh i'm gonna be picky about which clients i want or which you know which times i want because every one was a new canvas to learn on i mean it's, it's i shouldn't say that but that's the idea of it like you have to be willing to learn and work on any type of person because, you know, everyone's behaviors and mindsets are different. And so to me, that was interesting. So that's why I took on anything I could, fit them in as best I could. So then that way I could keep them happy and then see what I was doing was what I wanted to do. Yeah, and honestly, based on what you just told me, those are the kind of people that I honestly believe go the most furthest in the industry. Uh, because when you talk about, you know, sleeping in between times, and you know staying up early that's honestly for someone who's just literally just done it for over a year that's what i experienced now you know uh and that's again comes back what i've spoken to so many times about what is it you're willing to suffer for you know uh it's when it's running a pt business like there's no if you want to be good at it there's no easy route around it you have to be willing to have those early mornings you have to be you know doing those double shifts you got to be living in that complete point of uncertainty where you know you actually with that complete point of uncertainty where you're not sure how much you're really going to make by the end of the week and then there's all these people that get uh, get it like nailed down and so so not now so no one really gets nailed down but you get those people 
who think that they can just go like straight into this uh, line of work and think it's going to be like super, super easy. You know, they just train a few people here and there, you know, chill. It's, it's not the case. It's, it's actually a long hours, but it can be rewarding because once you've gone through those hard yards, that's what really like builds you as, you know, as a successful business. And I honestly stand by the firm belief that in order for you to actually be uh, a successful PT, you have to just do the job. You have to just keep doing the yards. Just practice. Even yeah. if you have to do free sessions, just do it. Like, cause you're going to benefit the most. Don't see it as a transaction. See it as an experience. And if people saw it that way as a PT, you just grow exponentially. Cause if you take on everyone and be like, okay, I'm going to learn from this. Not all, oh, this person has to pay me this much and stuff like that. I'm like, well, then that's not a two-way street. You know, like you have to understand that, you know, as a beginner PT, you're not going to know everything. You know, let's be real. Like if I look back at what I was doing six years ago, I'll be like, I'll probably laugh at myself. Like, what are we doing with this client? And I've had my fair share of people that I overtrain or undertrained, you know, like, you know, train them too much. And then it's about understanding their characteristics and personalities because, you know, it does really apply when you become an online coach. Like, it's not just as simple as becoming an online coach. You have to understand a person on that personal level without actually meeting them. You know, like what type of person am I dealing with? Am I some, is this someone that can self-motivate themselves or is this someone that you need to be on their back about? And then, so that's how I pretty much grew my online business through that. Like understanding clients on that personal level just through a phone call just, you know you can just tell mm -hmm. now it's good that you brought that up as well because that's one of the things that i had a list down that i wanted to ask you about like in nowadays because of social media because of you know everything's going online you know information is free uh it's just literally there from the tap of the phone and a flick of the button a lot of pts are or a lot of even pt uh, mentors are preaching about the power of online coaching. Now, for someone who's very, very uh, indulged in that certain uh, field, like how did you get from being that guy, you know, who's like waking up at like 3 a.m. training clients, double shifts to being that online coach? All right, so I guess it's like, it's not, okay, so I started doing all the PT and stuff like that. So I only started doing online coaching probably about, Two years ago so one year two years about one and a half years two years ago only so in the last six seven years i was pt and i was only an online coach for one and a half years ideally like i decided only because my clients started asking me about it and then i started realizing that there was a market for it and then what i realized recently was that a lot of the population now there's not many as many beginners as there are people who know how to train and so you know, if you asked me eight years ago to become an online coach, yeah, that's probably a good market then. And you probably would have grew with the waves back then because you would have had all this content. But then back then there was a lot more beginners. So as a beginner, for example, like I don't really take on many beginners as online clients because I feel like they need to go train. They need to actually get into the gym and actually train, <laughs> actually get that movement in. So they need a PT inside the gym. I'd be like, dude, go get a PT inside the gym for like six months and then come back to me once you've gotten some experience. Does that make sense? It does. So if you don't mind asking, like, is that like the sort of client that you're looking for? And why is that like the sort of client that you're looking for? No, no beginners. 
I do have some beginners. They just need a lot more work because I think it's overwhelming what I do because I'm a bit pedantic. So I have a lot of areas I actually manage. Um, so I treat every client like a bodybuilder, ideally, um, only because there's a lot of variables like, you know, your sleep, your satiety, your bowel movement, your recovery, your steps, your cardio. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that I guarantee results if you follow everything to a T. You know, so obviously, but it comes down to the individual client to actually follow it. You know, I could give, you could give someone a book with all the information to become successful, but whether or not they open that book and read it and digest what's actually in it, they're not going to really benefit from it. So I feel like that's how online coaching is. Like you have to provide the tools for clients to actually achieve the results. But if they're not fit for that at that time, they might not be ready. It's like going, like there's a 10 volume book, like volume one to 10. You're not going to give volume 10 if they haven't done volume one. So like, I feel like for someone who's starting out as a beginner, they need to be inside the gym trainer. I'd be like, go find a PT that will train you inside the gym because that's what you need right now. You know, you don't need an online coach. Yes, an online coach could help you. But then like, because they're not there with you, that you will, uh, you are more prone to injuring yourself. You know, there's no point in throwing yourself deep end into, I'm just going to start training and compete in the next 20 weeks. Because that's never going to happen. Well, I'll never take on anyone that will want to do that. Uh, but like, you need to be trained at least for a year and then we'll look to maybe compete next year. Agreed. And there's, going back to what we've mentioned earlier on, like, uh, I feel like for people who actually do train or have trained for quite some time and then they get involved in that bodybuilding, they do go to quite long yards. Like we get a lot of people who literally just go down like, okay, they've literally never trained, never touched a dumbbell. And then literally all of a sudden within a year, they step on stage and I'm like, well, look good for them. But yeah. then again, like, you no, know, it's, it's got to have, you've got to put all those years and years of like hard work into it. And so now that you've broken that down, like, uh, how did you discover that this, this was for you? Like, how did you I get that idea? Okay, look, I want to find people who are, you know, they've done it for a good six months at least or a good year. You know, they understand a, a certain amount of knowledge. Uh, what, what makes this like the ideal client for you? I guess like, um, sorry, can we repeat that question? So uh, I'll put it in short terms because that was a long question. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, what uh, makes this certain ideal client that you have, like, so uh, what's a better way? So how did you decide this was the ideal client for you, someone who's been working in the gym for a while? I guess it came down to um, the quality of their results. Okay. So as I, as I worked with people and more people, you know, it became more apparent that someone who was more better trained at like someone who can actually train hard and actually um, understand that what's needed in the long haul will produce better results. Does that make sense? So like someone who's like a beginner won't train as hard as someone who's been training for like 10 years. You know what I mean? Like there's just no way. Like it's just, it's, they may get newbie gains, don't get me wrong. But then after those newbie gains, they need to then fine tune what they already know. So after they've hit that six month to a year mark, what we, what I do is fine tune what already people know. Like, you know, for example, it's like, I know how to eat clean. Like people are like, oh, I eat healthy. Like, you know, you always get the individuals who come to you, like I eat healthy. I eat like, you know, chicken breast and broccoli. And then they tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> you know, they'll tell you the basic stuff and then they'll, but they don't know how much of that they should be eating or they don't know how do they progress their training. So 
that as a beginner, when you do your first year of training, you're going to build muscle. They will, they can lift weights any way that they want. You can give them a basic program. They're going to build muscle because they have never, it's a stimulus. They've never touched a weight in their life. So to them, they were just going to build muscle, like just looking at weights. And then after that, that's when we come in. Like as an online coach, I will come in and be like, okay, now we need to see how can we make you better? Where do we tighten up the reins at? Do we now look at your nutrition, making sure that you start weighing out your food or do we start tracking and training so then that way you build a better physique um, and stuff like that? Okay. So you sound like you got like a, a, a not too specific, but a specific section of, you know, the general population that you're looking for. Now, for someone such as yourself, how do you prospect those clients? Because for me personally, myself, I am not trying to blow smoke up my ass, but I'm someone who gets sought after a lot by those online mentors, you know what I mean? And for me personally, I am not someone who like wants to even touch that because I would like to represent, establish myself as a, as a half a decent coach first. So the next question I want to ask is how do you like prospect someone into a client who you probably, you know, you've never met face to face before? All right, so this will come down to, um, I guess, quality. Like, so I think results. Okay, so there's two things people want as an online coach. This is this is the secret. I've, I figured it out <laughs> only a few months back. <laughs> it's it's communication and results. It's as simple as it gets. And obviously, like results does come down to experience. You have to have confidence enough that I have confidence enough. I can say right now that I can get anyone results, but it still comes down to the individual client to follow to a T. Like if the client tells me I'm following it, but then they're not, then it's not in my power that they're going to get results. And I'll call them out on that. I'll say straight out, I'll be like, you're not following it though. Like there's just no way you're following it unless they genuinely are following it because I do manage a lot of different things. I guess like, you know, through communication, you have to talk to the client. And then a lot of times people create programs for people and just be like, Hey, just do this. But they don't give them the education side of things of like why they're doing it. What phase are they in? Why are they doing this? You know what I mean? So like that understanding there is what I build on my clients. I want to teach them these behaviors and habits. So then that way they can survive sustainably. Not like eat seven meals a day or eight meals a day because that's what the science says. You know, what's, what's the best for you? Can you eat only three meals a day? Then we'll create your plan that you're only able to eat three meals a day. So you can manage this after we're done. Now, in terms of like behaviors and habits, obviously like there's a whole bunch of people, you know, uh, could resort to and all that, that improve them. But are there any like key behavior, if you could like, obviously because every, so lost words here, but every client is specific. Uh, is there like a general standard of the habit, habits and behaviors that you like to present to your clients? I guess when I talk about habits and behaviors, it's more like, you know, it's about balance. I think that's why I try to preach more. Like it's not like comp if you're my comp prep client, you're going to ideally get the hardest off me. I'm going to tell you how it is. You have to follow it to a T and that's not healthy. You know, doing hours of cardio, eating like a thousand calories per day. It's just not sustainable. It's not healthy. Your hormones go out of whack completely and it's not worth it. You know, unless you want to compete. Then obviously if that's their goal, I'll be like, this is what you need to do. But for my lifestyle clients, I preach um, sustainability and, you know, 
building those behaviors and habits so then for example if you got like a wedding or event this weekend i'll be like look jump back on track the next day why do you need to destroy the whole week because you can't because you just had one bad day you know and a lot of my clients have built this sort of habit like they just go straight back to normal they're like hey i i messed up today i'm back on track tomorrow you know and it's about yeah so and i guess like you know the behaviors could come through like um i guess like when people go out to eat i'm like are you going out to eat to enjoy food with company you know or are you going out to eat to eat junk you know like most of the time you got to meet your friends or your families to catch up with them like why must you eat that burger you know what I mean? Like, unless it's balanced, you know, unless it, you can have it once per week. But like, ideally, like, why should you have that burger when you can be like having a salad? Let me say, go for the company and don't go for the food. Well, so that's, it's actually funny that you mentioned that in terms of like company as well, because the issue when it comes to bodybuilders is a very, very self and people are competing. It's a very, very selfish lifestyle, you know, but it, it doesn't actually or i don't believe it always needs to be like i remember i had a had a client and he was following he was getting strict but he was like saying oh you know i'm missing out on this with a friend and i'm like no no you're not i'm like but what if i go out and they, they say oh you got to do this to do that you say the bet the best bit of advice i said to him was look man you don't when you go out there and you know they're saying oh yeah have a burger have this gigantic like you know meal yeah. and all that just say um you don't say oh i can't because you know i'm trying to cut down and all that just say that and then they're gonna get onto you they're gonna latch onto you they're gonna say all oh, these things like, oh don't do this it won't hurt you just say i don't want to you don't have to give yeah, them an explanation you just say i just don't want to and then that way usually they, res they respect it more uh so but I'm the times board. have changed that yeah. like you know exactly what you just said like you know eight years ago you know when bodybuilding wasn't as known as what it is now, as respected as what it was, you know, like going out then was hard because, you know, I would have lost a lot of friends because I didn't go out anymore, you know, because obviously I was competing, but that was a choice I made and you only live one life. So I was like, you know, this is my life. So I'm not going to live on anyone's terms. If this is what I want to do and they don't want to be my friends, but I'm still coming out for them. I'm like, well, what's the problem? I'm still here. Why do I need to eat with you? Just so then that way it makes you happy. Like that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I guess like, you know, nowadays it's more, it's more respected upon as what it was eight years ago. Nowadays you can literally go out. Everyone knows bodybuilding. Like if you, I'm pretty sure you talk to anyone in Perth or anyone in the world, like they're going to know what bodybuilding is. Like, so if you told them you're, you're a bodybuilder, they're going to get it. They were like, oh, they'll, they'll probably respect you for it. But back then they'll be like, what are you doing? Like you're jumping on stage with a tan, like, and you're not really fighting anyone. You're just standing there on stage trying to look pretty. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, times have really changed since then. Well, they have. And I do uh, do believe that it's definitely, definitely been for the better. Uh, but, like, now people going out and they're super, super strict onto it. But one thing I'm, I'm always telling them is... It doesn't, it's a very consuming lifestyle, but it doesn't need to be so overly consuming. Like, uh, you know, you bodybuilders and all that, they can still have fun. They can, you know, still go to the club. And occasionally, again, it's in like moderation. It's like, uh, what's the best way I could say? It's like when it comes to calories, obviously, like, uh, you know, I appreciate it. There's no such thing as good or bad foods. It's just 
what you have in moderation and it's the same with like going out to party i don't say look man i'm not the best i don't believe you should be going out absolutely every weekend and getting you know absolute shit based but (laughs) (laughs) but if if you have that like occasional like you know once a month you know well once every three four weeks something like that it's you're gonna evaluate it a lot more because you've controlled the whole thing. Uh, I guess yeah, it de- does depend on the, I guess the level of the athlete. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, like you know, if you really are going for your pro card and you want to compete as a professional in America, then I think you know you got to give it your all. But you know, in off season, you're allowed to relax. You know, that's the reason why I do preach balance. You know, like in off season, you need to. I party. <laughs> I still party even now. You know, like it's just that balance because I want to celebrate with, I want to go out with friends, you know, friends have birthdays, weddings, you know, that sort of stuff. I want to go out, you know, so it's totally understandable. But I guess it's like, you know, people like to ride off the whole week, whereas I'll be like, oh, just one day of bad and I'm back on track for the next six days. You know, so I think like, you know, I'm still training, I'm still doing everything that's necessary in the off season. But, you know, people need to stop waiting for that perfect time or perfection to be perfect and just kind of be like, it's all right not to be perfect. 100 percent so what's the focus for you now like uh do you obviously we've got like you know covid's been rocking everyone <laughs> right now yeah. Percy. everyone suffered and took a hit and all that like uh what's what's the focus for you right now uh Percy asking you, are you focusing on you know just maintaining you know building a successful business successful business or are you hoping to get on stage some point soon uh, so yeah, so ideally at the moment I was gonna jump on stage end of this year. Um, so I was gonna do the IVB Pro League, which just got cancelled, which was gonna be the Fit Fest show, and then my missus was also gonna compete because she's a professional in IVB Pro League. She was gonna do the um, Pro Show in Australia. So, but then obviously everything got cancelled. So we just, uh, I'm ideally just gonna cut for life <laughs> find a good balance with life because normally in my off season i tend to like to put on extra weight because i'm overfeeded so i go through periods where i'm force feeding food down like the standard bodybuilder like you got to eat to grow you know um that kind of analogy so like i was doing that a lot in the off season try to build more muscle but this time around i'm going to take a break i'm going to focus more on business um because i feel like you know helping as many people as i can um would be the best goal you know it, it is a great achievement seeing my clients build those habits and behaviors and get them results they want. You know, that's yeah. honestly like a really, really good feeling. Yeah. That's, 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 awesome. that's a well way to put it. Uh, for someone who wasn't really actually sure about that, why did the show get canceled? Was it COVID? Um, yes, COVID, yeah. So, because IVB Pro League is a big show. They, got, they run the Arnold Sports Festival, uh, Arnold Sports Australia. So, like, um, they were going to call their new show called Fit Fest Australia. Uh, which will run like pro league shows and stuff. Uh, but yeah, just I think because of COVID, it's a big investment for them because it is, it is an expo. It's not just a show. Like, you know, they have expo, that people have booths, and it's just pretty much like the Arnold Sports Australia. Have you ever been to one? Uh, the only thing I said I mentioned Arnold's. I've been to is, is I've never been to Arnold's. No, no. The Perth, Perth, Perth Expo. Yeah, Perth Fitness yeah, Expo. Yeah. yeah, so ideally, the Arnold Sports Expo is like a massive show. You know, like internationally, everyone comes and stuff like that. But I think it's hard because the judges for the show come from America. And if they can't come into Australia, they, they can't really judge the show because um, it's not American level judging. If that makes sense. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Now, we're just heading up to the end of this podcast and all that. Uh, obviously, I've got back to work. 
But I just want to say real quick, um, obviously, if my audience would like to follow you and all that sort of stuff and your work, Jeremy, where can they find you? Um, yep, so on Instagram, it's under soulesthetic underscore coach, um, S-O-H and aesthetic pretty much. I created a name because my surname is So. <laughs> so it only made sense, So Aesthetic. And then if they want to follow me on Facebook, um, it's S Legion. Just search it up on a page as a group where I post useful content on. Lovely, awesome. Send me those through as well. Uh, for the people listening, they will be in the description of this video and also the description of if you're listening to via audio. audio. And of course, man, just the last thing I wanted to ask, I do this with every single podcast that I've done, yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone that I've spoken to. I just like to say, you know, is this is the last few minutes. Uh, is there anyone who you'd like to, you know, thank or anyone in particular you would like to extend your gratitude to? Um, my missus, the Nicole <laughs> Tan. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't be here without her. With a massive, massive support, we support each other all the way through. Um, it's always good to have someone that kind of is your rock. Like, you know, when you have those doubts, especially like being a comp prep and an athlete, I definitely know those doubts do kick in. Like that guy's looking really good. I don't know how I'm going to beat him. And, you know, having someone there to kind of make sure that you're going to be fine feels good. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Jeremy, I really also, appreciate Also, thank you for having me on though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome, man. Like this is like, the, again, I've only been doing this podcasting for a year. I'm still in the very, very early stages. Like we're doing this over Zoom. It's, uh, it's building up and hopefully one day it's going to be like an in-person thing because when you you know because of Zoom, man, it's just it's a different fucking world to do it in person. That's yeah. all I can say. You know, anyway, one day, know. next time when you get the in person one, we're gonna do another one then. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I actually yeah. do this. Uh, I haven't openly spoken about this online, but everyone because I get a shitload of rejection, an absolute shitload yeah. of rejection because we're a very small podcast and I'm in a fucking saturated market. Every time. I, uh, someone comes on, no matter how big, no matter how small, I actually put them down on the list. And then every single, when this, uh, I, I do have my in-person podcast, which I do with my best mate at his house, yeah. all the equipment. But in the future, when I get my own place and all that, you know, I set up my own studio, everybody on that list who's going to get invited back and anyone who wants to come on, they have to go to the bottom of the list because personally, I have to thank everyone who was there at the start for me compared to that's that's really that's the best way to put it so uh if any future listeners or any pastors if any past guests listening you're on that list any future listeners get in the queue that's all i can say <laughs> nice and early you know <laughs> take every opportunity thank you anyway jeremy you take care of yourself man all the best and best of luck man i'll see you around thanks joseph <laughs>